Welcome to High Point. If this is your first time, uh, we're so thrilled to have you here today. This is High Point Church. We are part of a ministry called Every Nation, and we love church planning, campus ministry. We love world missions. We love seeing the world changed by the gospel. And last time I checked, the world really needs to be changed by the gospel. Does it not? It really does. We've got a great moment here today. We're going to get into the scriptures, and I want you to know something ahead of time. I've got a lot. We're going to get after it today because not only do we need more of Jesus, but our cities need more of us living and looking like Jesus. You guys ready to do that today? Welcome to part two of Suit Up. Uh, It's an exciting day today. Uh, My name is Andy again, and if this is your first time, you need to know we are just so thrilled that you are here. We've been praying for you. We're praying for the people in this city to experience uh, the power of Jesus. Father, be with us today as we get into the message, Lord, as we, as we invite more of you into our lives, that we might look more like you, that we might experience more of you, that we might walk and talk and look and experience and everything possible, God. We want more of you today. God, sometimes even when we pray, we don't even know how to pray. God, we just know things aren't quite right. And we, we need you. So Jesus, have your way today in our hearts and in our church. Amen. So two weeks ago, I had the pleasure of going to an Aerosmith concert. Anybody here ever been to an Aerosmith concert? Come on, be honest now. I see a couple hands. Phew. That's a, just a crying shame. Uh, my first concert was a Def Leppard concert. If we doesn't want to get for real, okay? So I was invited. It was a cover band, okay, of Aerosmith. Truth be told, it was in Woodstock. And I have to tell you, I went with low expectations and was shocked at how good the night was at this Aerosmith cover band, okay? Now, the guy, anybody know the lead singer of Aerosmith? His name is Steven Tyler. He's kind of weird looking, okay? He dresses strange. He flops around the stage. He's got his own stage presence. And I'm telling you, the guy that was singing lead, who was to look like Steven Tyler, was a carbon copy of this guy. He looked just like him. He had his shirt unbuttoned all the way down. He had the scarves. He kind of, this hybrid kind of girly looking clothes that he was wearing and singing in. He smelled like cigarette smoke. He got down, was rocking on the stage. And I have to tell you, he threw a pair of sunglasses out to the crowd. And I believe he threw them just to me. And these were the Steven Tyler wannabe sunglasses. And I rocked these for pretty much the rest of the night. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, If any of you are interested in sunglasses of this make and model, you may have them right after church. Because they will never be getting worn again after that moment that I just put them on. That being said, I want you to bear with me for a second. 
the Steven Tyler impersonator. Now, he's just impersonating. He understood something very fundamental, and that's if you want to look like something, if you want to act like something and be something, there is a measure of putting on an attire that everybody understands. This guy would not have been a Steven Tyler impersonator if he did not look the part. He had the sunglasses, the pants, the shirt, the weird dress, the scarves, all of it, the jewelry. He had it down pat. If you want to look like something, you've got to put on something. All of us understand that the situations and circumstances that we walk into require us putting something different on. You go to a job interview, well, what do you do? You put on something professional looking, do you not? You don't roll up in your pajamas, do you? No, you put on that which is uh, understandable for the environment in which you're walking. If you're going out on a date, you put on the, you know, the, the stuff to impress. You dress to impress. You want to look nice. You want to look attractive. If you're, this is going to be me later today, if you're, going to, if you're going to get on the couch, you're going to pop some popcorn, you're going to turn a movie on, you're not going to put a suit and tie on. What are you going to do? You're going to put on those things we like to call comfy clothes. Because every circumstance and every situation has something that you put on that is appropriate for what you are doing. Are you with me? Does this make sense thus far? You guys tracking? Come on. Come on. Give me, give me a little. Everybody raise your hand like this. Thank you. Just want to make sure you're alive. You know, everybody's getting ready for school or you just, if you're a parent, you're now about week two of kids. My kids were dying this week uh, from sleep deprivation. And so as a parent, everybody can be in church today, be a little sleepy. This is not a message to be sleepy on. Let's be awake. Are you guys with me? All right. Turn to Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 as we talk about what we need to put on as Christians. We're in verses 10 through 12. The writer Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil of the heavenly realms. Now, if you were here last week, I'm gonna, we're going to play catch up. Make this real quick and easy for you. Paul, in just two verses, helps us understand three significant things. One, that we are in a fight but that fight is not with people. I'll say that one more time. You and I and every single one of us are in a fight. Whether you like it or not. Whether you love harmony and everyone getting along. Does not change the reality of the situation that you are in. You are in a fight. But that fight is not with people. Number two, your fight is with the devil, who 
by the way, is scheming against you. He's got plans, big ones, and your name is right at the top of them. And number three, we stand against the devil by putting on the full armor of God. The Christian armor, in other words, is not for decoration. If you've ever been to a museum before, and they've ever had a war exhibit, and you've had the opportunity to go and marvel at what people used to wear going into war. And you would see, you, you get to look at the, the iron or the metal or the leather or the sword or the scabbards or the pistols. I love that kind of stuff. I'm amazed at what people wore. I love suits of armor behind the glass case. But I need you to understand this, and I believe the Holy Spirit would remind us today that the Christian armor is not not to be something kept behind a glass case to be looked at or dusted off or marveled at from time to time. That thing should be worn. That thing should be used. That thing should have some dents and some scuffs and some beat up marks because it has so much use in your life. The Christian armor is not for decoration. It is not something to behold like in a museum. It is to be used. And the writer, Paul, makes no, he doesn't beat around the bush. You and I need the full armor of God. In our, in our culture where we love independence and creativity, we love all looking a little bit different. We got some guys who wear white pants to church and other people who are wearing plaid shirts and some people who are wearing Lacoste shirts and some of them are buttoned to the top and some are buttoned right about here. And there's every kind of different expression that happens. But you need to understand that Paul says that for you and I, all of us to pick up and put on the full armor of God. This isn't for you to piecemeal. This isn't for you to somehow decide which one you want and which one you like and what's your preference. No, creativity doesn't really exist on the battlefield. We should look the same as it pertains to the armor that we put on. The full set, baby. The whole thing. Ephesians 6, 13 through 17 says, therefore, Put on, again, the second time, the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Not some. Not a couple when you're lucky. All of them. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. A little context. Paul, I mean, he's dropping bombs here. 
he's laying out the full armor. And I want you to hear this. We're, I'm not going to have the capacity to talk about every single piece of this armor today. We're going to focus on one aspect of this, and it's the linchpin for everything else. But before we get to that, how about a little context here? Because Paul is writing from prison. Having been beaten and kicked out of cities and stoned, most theologians think Paul is going blind at this point. And here he writes this letter to the church of Ephesus. And he reminds them and says, your fight is not against flesh and blood. Meanwhile, he's under house arrest. Having been there, he's in his second year of being arrested. And the very thing that he would have been looking at would have been a guard who is guarding the front door of that home. The one who's keeping him bound. The one who is guarding him. And yet Paul has the audacity to say, these people are not your enemy. And then he begins this, this amazing uh, just list of, of the pieces of armor. And most theologians, again, think that Paul is probably looking at a guard as he's literally penning this. Literally looking at the man's armor and how it's put together so that he can write in such a way that everybody who reads it would instantly understand. We've got to do a little bit more work because most people aren't walking around in armored, clad, leather get-ups anymore. If you do, you may want some prayer after service today. praying about this message today, wrestling with how to say it, timing to say it, but we're just going to say it. If you know me well, you know that beating around the bush does not come easily to me. I'm generally pretty direct. And when we talk about this thing called the belt of truth, and it's girded up, some of the, the scriptures say, the NIV doesn't, doesn't use this as much, but if you have an older text, it says to, to gird up your loins with the belt of truth. And Paul's writing this, and he, he's talking about this thing. You and I might have a little belt and a little buckle, and it tightens our pants, and that's about it. But the belt for the Roman soldier was to hold his dagger. It had a scabbard for his sword. And the other thing that it would do is they would have this long tunic that they would wear, they would put on first, the belt would go around it, and when it was time to get into the action, when it was time to fight, when it was time to stand your ground, you would pick up the corners of your robe and you would tuck it into your belt so you had mobility, so that you could move, so that you could get around. Otherwise, you're tripping and stumbling and falling, and guess what? You're dead. And so when Paul writes about the, 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 the belt of truth, he's talking about one of the most essential pieces to the armor, and without it, 
so many of the other pieces don't even have a proper place. The belt of truth. Now, last night, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to bed. But it was hot as blue blazes yesterday. And so it just so happened that the upstairs of my house wasn't cooling off the way I wanted it to. It was still too hot. I don't sleep well when it's hot. So I turned on the overhead fan in the bedroom, and I, I, I laid down, and I wasn't quite sleepy yet, but I was looking at the fan like a baby looks at a fan. <laughs> you ever seen a baby look at a fan before in a room? They're amazed by it. I was just looking at the fan last night, just, wow, it's amazing. Yet this thing began to happen. If you've ever seen an overhead fan that, that wobbles, right, and you think to yourself, I could die. This thing could fall any minute from the ceiling. Is it supposed to look like this? I've turned it on a hundred times, but I've never looked at it the way I'm looking at it right now. Is this normal? Should it be doing that? And then I did what, what every normal person does. I turned off the lights and I went to bed. I said, well, here we go. I'm going to just trust that everything is going to be just fine. And is this not how we treat truth? We look at it and we say, this doesn't look right. This doesn't feel right. I'm pretty sure this isn't how it's supposed to go. I'm pretty sure this is not truth. But the reality is I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what I should say about it. I don't even know if I'm right. So let's just turn off the lights and ignore it and hope we wake up in the morning. And this is how we communicate truth in a world where everybody has their own version of what's right and wrong and moral and immoral, and good, and bad, light, dark, wicked, good. You, you pick your tension. Oftentimes we look at truth, and it's completely up to us. It's malleable. We think somehow that we can shape it. And I want you to hear this today. When Paul is writing that you and I, what we need first happening in this suit of armor as we suit up this morning is we've got to get things down with the belt of truth. We've got to be able to understand what truth is so that we can strap that thing on and get to fighting what needs to be fighting, what needs to be fought. Excuse me. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a way that appears to be right. But in the end, it leads to death. Meaning there's a way that, that looks right and feels right. And if you pursue that way, you're done. Isaiah 59, 14 through 17. Prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament prophesying about the Messiah. He says that truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And 
Whoever shuns evil literally becomes a prey. And the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation upon his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. What is it that Isaiah is prophesying? He's saying that there's no, truth is nowhere to be found. Truth has tripped and fallen in the streets and no one can see it. And those who would actually, actually stand up and say anything are treated like prey. And he was so discouraged and displeased by this that he took matters into his own hands. And he sent his very own son. He sent the Messiah who was the perfect representation of that which would be wearing the true helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel, uh, the, the feet fitted with the perfect gospel of peace and all the other pieces of armor. Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of it and Isaiah prophesied about it. But the thing that he said first is that truth is nowhere to be found. And then Jesus, in all of his boldness, in all of his grace and humility, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to hear this. If Jesus is saying that he is the way, then there inadvertently must also be a place and a direction that you can go that is not the way. And if Jesus is saying that he himself is truth, he doesn't just bring truth. He's not carrying truth. He's not dispensing truth. He is truth. And that if truth is potentially, if, it's, if we're able to know truth as a person, then we must also be able to not know truth. You must be able to be stuck in a lie. And if there is life to be experienced and life to be had, then there's also death to be experienced and death to be had. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. So here we are, church. We've got two things. If you're a note taker, we're, we're at the point where you're going to get out your pen and you're going to go to work. I'll make this as simple as I possibly can because right now, truth is stumbling in the streets. And what our culture needs and what our city needs and what our church needs and what we need are people who have been so changed by the gospel, by the true, the one and only Jesus Christ, Messiah, that we are bringing hope and we are bringing truth. 
We're bringing life. So how do you put on this belt? This Wonder Woman belt, so to speak, if you've seen the movie. She's got a belt. Batman has a belt. Superman has a belt. Guess who else has a belt? You do. So how do you put it on? What do you do with this crazy thing? John 17, 17 says, sanctify, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If you want to put on the belt of truth, you've got to get in this Bible. You've got to know what God is saying to you, what he is saying to his church, because there is a lot of nonsense out there. There's a lot of ridiculous things being shared and told and repeated, and they are lies. It's fake news. And I'm telling you right now, if you want to know what's right and you want to know what's true, we have to get into the scriptures. You hear me, church? There is a way to lead your life married, and there is a way not to. There is a way to love your spouse and treat your spouse, and there is a way not to. There is a way to treat and raise and train your children, parents, and there is a way not to. There is a way to be single, and there is definitely a way not to. There's a way to be an employee, a boss, a pastor. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. But there is also a way that is right, that is true, that is the path of Christ, the narrow path. And the only way that we know what is right and true is by being in love with the very words of God. And he has given them to us. That doesn't mean it's always easy to read. But it's like a, it's like a pilot who loses his, his navigation instrument. I don't even know what it's called. But I've read about pilots where you can get, you can get so turned around in the air. And if your instruments go out, sometimes the only things that you're looking at to help you understand what right side up is are your instruments. And if they go down, you might be in trouble. And the scriptures do the same for us as Christians. Is they help you understand what's true and what's right. I watched a movie recently. And if you watch true stories that are true stories... You always want to fact check it, don't you? Because there's a lot of things that get told to you, given to you, shared to you that aren't right or aren't true. And the Bible, in many ways, is like an it's like a it's like a a database in which you get to filter the world through, and what's true and right gets brought to the surface. starts there. There used to be a time where it was such a privilege for people to actually have a copy of the Bible. It was such a valuable thing to be in their home. 
If you've ever seen, you should YouTube videos of, of, of tribes or cultures getting Bibles for the first time delivered to them in their language. It's one of the most emotional things you'll, you'll see on YouTube, seeing people who've never had a Bible who finally get one. And it will give you such a deeper appreciation for the word because you realize that we live in a culture where I can have it on my phone. I have it in paper. I have it on my iPad. I have about 10 at the office. There's about 50 here in the back storage room. There are Bibles literally everywhere. And because we're so used to it, it's around us. It's easy to take God's word for granted. And yet to hunger for it. To believe that when you read it, God just might speak to you and minister to you, convict you train you up in righteousness. The belt of truth starts with God's word. But it doesn't end there. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says, do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is near now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of lights. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. See, putting on the belt of truth, it looks like us immersing ourselves in God's true and holy word. But the other thing that we have to do is we have to actually obey Jesus Christ. That is where the belt of truth gets its strength. See, Jesus did all of this for us. He died. He rose again. He reigns victorious, but putting on the armor of God, this isn't about you becoming a Christian, but this is about doing your part as a Christian. And one of the things we get to do is we get to understand and know and stand firm on God's word. And the other thing we get to do is we get to obey him and let go of the things that are not of God. We get to do what Paul says, and that's wake up. Because it's really easy to get sleepy as a believer. It's really easy to fall asleep on the job, isn't it? You're tired. You're fatigued. Maybe you're bored with faith. And like Paul says, it's time to wake up. Because there is an enemy who is fighting against you. 
So what do you do with that enemy that is fighting against you? Well, you take care of business first before we get to the shield and before we get to the sword and before we get to the other aspects of the armor. We have to know right from wrong, up from down, light from darkness. And that begins with the truth. That means you've got to understand it and then it's time to begin obeying it. See, when I read the scriptures, it strengthens me. Not as one who is an angry, crotchety believer, but one who is emboldened by the truth of who God is and the holiness of the God that we serve. Which is why when we turn on our televisions or as you peruse social media as a Christian, there are things that we see right now in the news that should be troublesome. And troublesome is a light word to use. Would we not agree? As we begin to see marches and Charlottesville, Virginia, and violence, and death, and racism. But I want you to hear that as Christians who are putting on the belt of truth, it's okay to be truthful. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to call a spade a spade because this is where we draw our strength outside of the very presence of Jesus is we know what God says is right, and we know what He says is wrong. And I want you to know as the pastor of this church, I am grieved by what I see on TV. And it doesn't bother me in the slightest as one who is bound by this belt to stand up and say that racism is wrong and we will not put up with it. It's okay to say that this is evil and this is wicked and we will have no part of it as the people of God. It is okay to condemn what is not of God but not in a way that is, that is, that is vile where we are partnering with Satan and the enemy. We're fueled by what we know is true and by what we know is right. And so we, we look to it and we point and we can say, no, this isn't right. And in the same breath, the truth that binds us to Jesus Christ, the very person of truth, not only do we acknowledge what's right and wrong, we get to respond like Jesus only the grace of the Son of God says by my spirit love your enemies and 
by the grace of God, pray for those who are persecuting you. And as he hangs on the cross with one arm nailed on this side and the other nailed on this side and in his dying breath says, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. See, the truth, the truth that sets you free really sets you free. As you notch that belt and immerse yourself in who God is and what He says, it gives us strength to address what's not right on the inside and also gives us the courage to address what's not right on the outside. And by His Spirit, by the Spirit of truth, not only do we address it, we get to then lead and live like Jesus himself. That's what the belt of truth does. Only then can you strap on the sword of the Spirit and use it properly. Only then do you know how to put your shoulder into that shield and know how to block the arrows of the evil one. Because you have truth cinched around your waist. understand the truth by God's word and then we get to obey it that's what you get to do you get to join the battlefields today you get to suit up Father be with us Lord as we look to you today God is the source of truth not only for our lives but for our culture not only for our families, but for our cities. God, not only for our friends, but for our, our campuses, for our schools. God, we need your truth. We need your truth at work, reigning inside of us. That we might know what is of you and what is not of you. That we might be able to speak to it, to speak to it with boldness. God, that we might be, that the story might be made new, a, a rewrite on the inside of us, God. Give us the strength. To follow you in truth today. We worship you, Jesus. As the way, the truth, 